Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 140 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Yay. Yeah. I'm your host, Russ, K5TUX, and we also have Pete, V2XPL. XPL. XPL, that's right. XPL. (laughs) How's everyone doing tonight? XPL. It's cold here. And, uh, yeah, it's cold here, too. We also have Cheryl. Hey, everybody. All right, so we're all here and uh, crackling because we got some kind of sound issue going on. I'm not sure what it is. You're but cutting out like half. The- no, I'm not cutting it. Well, yeah, I guess yes, I am. Yes, you are cutting out. Uh, <laughs> well, we may just have to do this thing without the noise gate. So anyway, I just turned the noise gate off. So hopefully that will take care of whatever problem we've been having. And uh, maybe I'll fix that for next week. Now I got to get back to the Etherpad. And every, anyway, here we are. Good night. Good. <laughs> here we are. Really. <laughs> Goodbye, we'll see you next everybody. Week. <laughs> it's it's been nice a great having show. you. Bye bye. <laughs> we'll see you all next week or in the next fortnight. Fortnight. I'll see. Now I can't. We have to turn the gate on because. All right. This is going to be a nightmare. I have a feeling, but we will carry on. So, episode one forty of Linux in the Hamshack. Yes, that's where we were before everything went to hell. We're in our. New podcast studio here in Studio 3D up in Missouri, and uh, as you can tell, so well, yeah, things are going well. <laughs> yeah, or something. <laughs> because things are going so well, I think we should just jump right in and do some ham radio stories. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. I guess I'll tackle the first one, and this one comes to us from the Amateur Radio Newsline, a uh, incredible resource for ham radio news, and uh, this one is about Rescue Radio, the Department of Homeland Security. Their Security Office of Emergency Communication is going to offer its OXCOM training course on the days preceding Hamvention 2015 in Dayton, Ohio. The course covers emergency communications in a public safety context within the National Incident Management Framework. OXCOM Workshop is designed for auxiliary emergency communications or communicators who volunteer to provide backup emergency radio communication support to public safety and emergency response professionals and their agencies. Volunteer emergency communications operators and groups have been providing backup emergency communications to the public safety community for over a century. Yeah. Ooh, ah. Excellent. Nice. This intensive three-day course provides lectures, student exercises, and interactive discussions. More than 1,000 hams have completed this course which trains qualified amateur radio operators to assist their local county and state governments with emergency backup communications. Details for registration for the course will be provided at hamvention.org beginning February 1st, which was a mere yesterday. Uh, Applicants must meet all prerequisites and provide documentation to attend the class. Registration will close when the class limit of 50 qualified students has been reached. As I said before, that comes to us courtesy of the Amateur Radio Newsline. So, so what are the prerequisites, I wonder? Department of Homeland Security, did I make you go through, like, did they do cavity searches and all that? Or? <laughs> I'm sure they probably have something on line. Well, depending, <laughs> on, depending on who you are, some people might hope. Oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, maybe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Andrew Dice Clay in the house. Oh. Oh, oh my God. There's a uh, blast from the past. <laughs> Uh, he's still a stand-up comedian and performing live to this day. I heard that. I heard yep. that. I heard he's also quite broke. <laughs> and probably quite drunk much of the time. Uh, that's so. okay. There's as long as he's having fun. No, there, I didn't say there was anything wrong with that. I'm just saying. Moving on. You put in the third story, or you thought you were going to put in that third story anyway until you discovered it was already there. So yeah, sure we'll, put that's, all how, the that's how efficient I am. That's right. It's so good. But we'll let you go ahead and do that one. But we'll let... Cheryl will do the middle one first. All righty then. The ARRL library is now online. The online library is a repository of educational presentations and oral histories. It will initially consist of three major areas. These will include PowerPoint presentations that may be used at club meetings, outreach efforts to the general public or other public presentations, 
PDFs of general education material about amateur radio, and oral histories of radio amateurs describing their personal experiences with amateur radio. Uh, you can find the ARRL library on the web at ARRL.org slash library. ARRL. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> Again, from the Amateur Radio Newsline. Yes. Great, great source of information. Yeah, and he's out of the hospital now. He's oh, he's out of the hospital. Good. That's yeah. good news. Is he really? Cause I, I, um, I think that's what I read on the page today. Because so. on January 15th, uh, he posted from his... Uh, uh, let's hospital see. Bed. From his hospital bed, he posted that two ribs are healing nicely, but as long as he's here, he wanted to do a few weeks of cardio rehab before they sign him clear, and he has no idea how long it will take. So it says, for those who are not aware, he is suffering. He has suffered from coronary artery disease since about '93. Went through an outpatient cardio rehab program back then. So this is about you know a couple of weeks now. So perhaps he's out now. Yeah, so uh, the the report for January twenty fourth says we're back. Um, Excellent. So I don't know. It, yeah, he's he posted he posted from his hospital bed on the fifteenth. So yeah, so that was nine days later. So <laughs> that's right. We can now do the first part of our show because we have the amateur radio news line. Yep. Yeah. So now it's Pete's turn. <laughs> All right. Well, to um Change things up a little bit. This one comes from uh, Amateur Radio Newsline. Uh, thanks, and, Bill. <laughs> and now for something completely you just different. Just let us take over. That's right. <laughs> While you're rehabbing, he's in rehab. Shh. <laughs> There's the shh again. Shh. <laughs> it's Canadian, eh? Yeah. Is it? I, I, I think it's kind of universal. Uh, so this one uh, I thought was a rather interesting. Uh, FCC paperless amateur radio license policy is in effect starting February 17th. So starting a few weeks from now or a few weeks ago, if you're listening to this podcast uh, late. Uh, so starting February 17th, 2015, the FCC no longer will routinely issue paper license documents to amateur radio license uh, licensees and applicants, sorry. Uh, the commission's maintained for some time now that the official amateur radio license authorization is an electronic record that exists in the universal licensing system, also known as the ULS. Although the FCC's continued to print and mail hard copy licenses uh, to amateurs. Uh, in mid-December of uh, 2014, the FCC adopted final procedures to provide access to official electronic authorizations to uh, all licensees users and it has proposed in uh, WT docket 14161 blah 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 uh, this initiative so under the new procedure licensees with an active status uh, only those with an active with an active status will access their current official authorization via the ULS or universal licensing system uh, the ULS license manager so the FCC will con continue to provide paper license document to all licensees who Notice, notify the commission that they prefer to receive one. Uh, so if you don't uh, let them know, they won't provide you with one, thus saving a tree. Licensees will also be able to print out an official authorization as well as the unofficial reference copy from the uh, ULS license manager. So uh, they claim that they're going to save some $300,000 a year, uh, including cost and staff resources uh, by doing this. So that's uh, kind of an interesting savings uh, for said entity. $300,000 a year is nothing to sneeze at, especially in these days where most governments are cutting in things like, uh, you know, uh, amateur radio. I guess if you're a new licensee, it's kind of exciting uh, to get that actual paper license uh, through the mail. However, if you're a younger person, you know, most younger people are used to all kinds of electronic media anyway. So, Will they care? Will they not care? You know, all they want is to get notification that they have their license. And if you're getting it electronically, you're getting it a lot faster than if you were getting it through the mail anyways. So does it make a difference? I'm not sure. When I got my license originally, I was call sign. The call sign was the important thing. Yeah. But the problem was back in the day when I got my call sign, the only way to get the call sign was through the mail. So that was why it was exciting to get it through the mail. But when it became available electronically and it was easier to find out and quicker to find out once the electronic versions came around, then every time I did a, a license upgrade or a call sign change, I was much more interested in just going to the ULS database and finding it there. But. Yeah, absolutely. Well, see, as a young 
or, or technically savvy ham, you could do it electronically. A lot of, you know, are there that many young people who are getting their licenses? There are some. But a lot of people who are getting their licenses are people uh, who are either retired or who are on, you know, who are a little bit more advanced in age, shall we say, and have time to devote to the hobby. So a lot of these people kind of still prefer getting stuff through the mail, most likely. So um, is this going to irk some people? Maybe at first. I'm not sure. Most people will probably do like me anyways. It's like, you know, I'm saving a tree. It's like all my billing. I get all of my billing electronically. But then I go to the website and I download the bill and then I print it anyways. But instead of printing the five copies of my phone bill, for example, I'll just print the first copy and then kind of do my personal accounting that way so that I could, uh, you know, keep track of it for myself. So most, but I digress. Most people will probably just go to the database and print out their own copy of the license anyways. So, you know, for saving trees, well, probably won't save that many trees anyways, but um, I could see where the FCC wants to save money because all governments are trying to save money now anyways. I'll add that if you do, after February 17th, if you do request a uh, paper license, they will give it to you and it will be printed on standard white recycled paper. So that's also a good thing. Anyhow, uh, there you go. ARRL, saving your tax dollars. All right, sweet. To spend them somewhere else. (laughs) On yourself, hopefully. <laughs> so, uh, nah, probably not. <laughs> probably not. All right. Well, we should probably move on to some Linux topics. And I had uh, what I thought were a couple of interesting ones to go through real quick here. I like that first one. I'm excited about that. I'm going to check it out. Carry well, on. The first one is entitled How to Stream Netflix on Linux. And I actually Woo-hoo! found this at linuxmagazine.com, linux-magazine.com, if you will. You mean this didn't come from Amateur Radio Newsline? It did not come from Amateur Radio Newsline, oh considering God. that it's not an amateur radio topic. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good thing. Anyway, I saw this, and this has been sort of a problem for Netflix users for some time. And what's interesting about it is there is an entire you know multi-page article in Linux Magazine about doing this procedure where you can stream Netflix on Linux. But the thing of it is, it's still a hack currently. Technically, it's still not supported on Linux platforms. But what they have described in the article is the fact that Netflix has switched over from Flash-based streaming to HTML5-based streaming. So it uses things like the HTML5 video tag and stuff like that, which is well-supported across all modern browser platforms. But Netflix still checks the user agent to see that you're running something like uh, Mozilla on Windows, for example, before it will stream to you, even though the browsers that run on Windows, for example, Firefox and uh, Google Chrome and stuff like that, will also render properly uh, the HTML5 stuff on Linux. So what you basically have to do is have a modern browser that supports uh, proper HTML5 rendering, and then you have to use something like Mozilla's uh, user agent switcher or the equivalent Google plugin, Google Chrome plugin, to lie to Netflix to say that the browser that is accessing Netflix is actually Firefox on Windows, because that's all it does is check the user agent string. And uh, once you've done that, and then uh, there, there were a couple of other little minor tweaks you had to do, and I, I don't want to go through that. You can read the article, uh, links to it will be in the show notes. But basically, once you've fooled Netflix into thinking you're actually running Windows when you aren't, and then you have to install a couple of video decoder plugins or something like that. But anyway, there uh, are dev versions and RPM versions of all that, and it walks you through the whole thing uh, top to bottom. But once you make these minor tweaks to your operating system, switch your user agent string, uh, you can then go to Netflix and stream on your Linux box. And it's uh, it's more or less native. Uh, it's just a little bit of uh, browser skullduggery, I guess, is what gets it to work. But it works, and it's, and it's actually uh, native because you're using your your browser, you're not using Wine, you're not using a plugin or an overlay or anything like that. This is how people are doing it. And until Netflix and others support, you know, all platforms equally, uh, this is how you get around it. Okay, well, here's a stupid question since I don't watch TV. Why do they- Because some people don't want to use Windows. No, no, why does Netflix give a crap? Oh, why does Netflix give not? a crap? I'm not sure why Netflix gives a crap. <laughs> I, I would think they would want to be as accessible to as many people as possible because every person they 
access is another ten dollars per month mm-hmm. you know in their coffers but they're probably in cahoots they may be windows I mean, yeah. quite often they have business affiliations which you know we'll give you this if you solely use our services kind of thing so well the thing uh, is, i don't though, know enough about netflix but do they work okay and on apple does yes okay so apple and windows are okay but linux is that, that is my understanding yes See, I stream Netflix on my uh, Wii, on my Nintendo. Keep your Wii in your pants, will you? <laughs> not my Wii Wii. Wii Wii. Not my Wii Wii, my Wii U. Wii Wii. Wii Wii. Wii Netflix on my Wii Wii. Um, <laughs> no, on, on, on the Nintendo system, uh, I stream Netflix and it seems to work quite well. And there's no Windows or Linux or, you know... Um, one one thing has uh, come up in the chat room is uh, Kleewick has said that the drivers that uh, power Netflix are signed, so there are some DRM issues. Are not signed. No, the the drivers. Okay, the drivers are not signed, so they're right. The drivers for Linux are not signed, so they're DRM issues. What he's saying is that Netflix wants the drivers to be signed so that someone can't slip in some quote-unquote malicious code into the drivers that actually render the Netflix stream so that it can be, for example, uh, recorded and copied. That's why they want it to be Windows, because they can be assured that the uh, libraries haven't been tampered with. This, this comes from Kleewick in the chat room. This, this is what he's saying, so don't take it from me. I'm sure he knows more about it than you. Well, probably. <laughs> Either that or he's, you know, just talking out of his ass just like i am in which case you know take it for whatever it's worth in this case yeah everyone's even. <laughs> uh interestingly that you brought up being in cahoots though uh because that kind of leads into our next topic uh which is uh an article that was written in the register over in the united kingdom and of course everything the register prints is true there's a, a plugin for many browsers called Adblock Plus, and I imagine that most people who uh, use the internet have at least heard of this, even if they don't use it. Uh, but basically what it does is if you install it in your browser and then you get those uh, sidebars and pop-up ads that come up in your pages, it basically just renders them harmless. You don't actually see them. Well, according to this article in the register, uh, internet giants like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and Taboola, which, what the hell is Taboola? I've never heard of that. Right? But apparently they're an internet giant. They've reportedly paid Adblock Plus to allow their ads to pass through its filter software. Well, that's... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the confidential deals were confirmed by the Financial Times, the paper reported today. IOGMBH, which is the creator of Adblock Plus, said it did not wish to comment. The add-on is free to download with IO generating revenue through its whitelisting program. Companies can request their ads to be unblocked as long as they comply with Adblock's acceptable ads policy. Large companies pay a fee for this service. Does this mean that Adblock Plus is basically rendered useless? Because if uh, if Google wants you to see something, even if you're using this plugin, you're going to see it. Yeah, you know? that's right. That's and right. Cheryl, I think was googling uh, Taboola, right? Yeah. So- <clears throat> Yeah, it says uh, Taboola is a content marketing platform that provides a web widget to content creators on the website to show content you may like that includes links to related articles, videos, and slideshows, both from within the site and from other publishers. Its closest competitor that is somewhat similar business model is Outbrain. Its clients include BBC, USA Today, Huffington Post, and Boston. Oh, the Huffington Post, yes. A bastion of news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This says it was founded in 2007 by I, uh, Adam Singolda in Israel. His vision was to show people things they didn't know they were already looking for. I see. Okay. Um, if I don't know that I'm looking for them, why do I need to see them? Well, because it's... Because you might be missing it. You know what I mean? It's just like the the junk around the cash registers at the grocery store. It's <laughs> crap right. you don't need, but it's, you know, it's impulse buys. Pro- so product placement. Product yep. placement. Yep. <laughs> All right. That's uh, yeah. That's I don't agree. <laughs> that's totally wrong, and they should be lashed with a wet noodle for that. Yes, I agree. But I mean, that kind of totally defeats the purpose. Then you need to run a second ad block on top of your first ad block. That's bloating your computer. Right. Yeah. There you go. But the thing is, hasn't there been a long-standing conspiracy theory that like all virus protection companies are actually writing all the viruses? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of, actually wouldn't surprise me. It's kind of the same things. 
<laughs> That's probably why they supply a free version too. Right. Make it a, run slower so that you know you, you can finally break down and buy the full version, which actually doesn't do anything more except for making it faster. <laughs> more more quickly useless. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Well, that's all I had on the Linux front for, for this uh, week, unless someone in the chat room has something they want to discuss. Jay Lindsay in the chat room says that people are abandoning typical Adblock software like Adblock Plus because of performance issues. And projects like this one that he mentions, github.com slash gorehill, G-O-R-H-I-L-L slash uBlock with a capital B, are picking up stream now. And that link will be in show notes, of course. So it's yeah, a, for sure. A modern equivalent of a of a blocker, apparently, and it's uh, cross browser compatible. So yeah, Chromium, Firefox, Safari, yep, all the cool ones are there. Yeah, screw you, Explorer. All the cool kids. F U I E. What does that spell? Thanks, <laughs> all right, we've moved on to segment three: Linux in the ham shack. And uh, the first thing, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I got this off our Google Plus community, and by the way, if you're not a member of the Google Plus community, Linux in the Ham Shack, you should become a member of the Linux Plus, Linux Plus, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Google Plus Linux in the Ham Shack community, over 1,000 members strong, uh, and there's actually quite a, a lot of good discussion in there, people uh, talking about Ham Shacks, how they set them up, how they're using Linux in their Ham Shack, there's a lot of questions being posed in there, like, how do I do this, or... I've just switched from Windows to Linux, and I need to be able to access this. How do I do it? And the community has actually been very good in providing answers uh, to the people who are a member of that group. And I think people are signing up independent of the fact that there's a podcast associated with the concept of Linux in the ham shack, but that is absolutely okay. I think that's why it's becoming a little more popular, because it's just sort of the concept of Linux in the ham shack, not necessarily just the podcast, uh, but it seems to be taking off, and that's really cool. So if people want to join, where do they go? Let's tell them. They would go to uh, plus.google.com and search for Linux in the Ham Shack, because honestly, I don't know if there's an actual URL. There probably is. I think it's a string enough. Yeah, there's there's usually some sort of convoluted number system when it comes to Google+. Plus. But basically, uh, since Google is a search engine, just search for it. Here, which I'm going to do right now. I'm going to go to Google. I'm going to search for I just did. It works. You just go to Google+, Plus and search for Linux in the Ham Shack. And I just joined the community. I thought I was a member. Shame on me. Wow. Yeah. So 1,059 members. 1,059 right. members strong. Yes. Excellent. And, and there's Russ Woodman. Yep. Number one. Um, that's because I started the group. We'll just call you number one. <laughs> Take a two. Cheryl, you'll be number two. Okay. Great. <laughs> yeah, except I, I thought I had signed up, and I, a couple of months ago I discovered I hadn't. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Google+, so... You'll, you'll find me on Facebook, as you well know. What's so, funny is, remember back when no, remember back when Google had the other thing, Google Buzz, and that sort of like died a horrific, awful, terrible death. And, oh, like MySpace? Yeah. Well, it was supposed to be their, you know, social networking platform. People were like, oh, Google Buzz, you know, let's be a part of that. And then it kind of went the way of the dodo. And then they put in this new crazy confounded thing called Google Plus, and no one knew what the hell it was. And why is Google spending all their time and developing this thing when they already had this other thing and blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, I don't know, maybe they knew something, but it seems like five, six, 10 years later, whatever it is, Google plus is actually sort of becoming something. I don't know if that's the case or not, but we certainly are having a lot more interaction on Google plus than we have with any of our other communities, i.e. Twitter or Facebook. No, that's very true. So, although like this week we have like six in Facebook. Yeah, well, we're also a little behind on that. But we'll get to that in a segment here towards the end. But one of the things I learned about, uh, getting back to what I was saying originally about the Google Plus community, is this thing called Shiny SDR, which is a software application which creates a GUI environment for your RTL SDR hardware. And it was created by someone who is uh, kind of fed up with the current state of SDR software for Linux. It's been totally rewritten. It's uh, very cool looking, and I don't have a lot of the details on it because I don't have one of these RTL SDRs. Uh, This is one of these uh, low-cost radio chips that usually plugs in via a USB port. They're really simple to use. They can be receivers or transceivers, Uh, and this software creates a uh, platform for actually controlling and monitoring and listening to 
the signals that come in through these RTLSDRs. Uh, it's written in Python. The user interface is completely browser-based. Uh, so you have a, a Python server that runs on your local machine. You connect to it via localhost, uh, and it gives you access to RTLSDR. It's very cool looking. It's uh, currently in development. It requires a few different dependencies like uh, Python's Twisted Environment, uh, GNU Radio, uh, and a few other things. There's no real uh, straightforward installation for it yet. You have to make sure you've got the uh, dependencies installed on your machine. Then you have to run some Python scripts to actually do it and get it to run. Then you control everything via your browser. You know, and I'm sure this will come of age given enough time uh, and enough focus by the developers to bring it to something. But it's already been mentioned in the Google Plus community as a very nice GUI overlay for uh, your RTL SDR. Uh, so if you like to get your hands a little bit dirty and you're not too worried about uh, having pre-configured install scripts and all that kind of thing, you can go to the link, which will be in the show notes, which is github.com slash kpread, k-p-r-e-i-d slash shiny SDR. And it walks you through everything you need to make sure you have on your system and the procedure for getting it installed. Then a short section on how to get it running. And then everything else is basically point and click once you uh, connect to it via your browser. It, it looks pretty cool. And if you're, if you're into the software-defined radio and if you have one of these units and you want to try this out as a, as a new way to access it, uh, you should give it a try. Yes. I have yet to try anything to do with SDR. I keep saying I'm going to do it, and I just don't have the time. I keep kicking myself because I'm around computers all the time. You know, it'd be a great thing to put together at work. Hope my boss isn't listening, but great thing to throw onto the computer at work so that I could at least listen while I'm, you know, a lot of times I'm doing stuff where I could be listening in the background. I'm going to get around to it eventually. Yeah, I got to do that too. I got to get around to getting my radios back on the air and also doing a little bit with these software defined radios because especially these low cost ones, it look like they could be really cool, particularly on the listening front. If you just want to have something as noise while you're uh, maybe doing something else and not trying to actually get in on a conversation. It's a great way to introduce people to ham radio as well. I mean, you don't need to be licensed to listen and everyone or just about has a computer access to one. So it's a great way to introduce people to the hobby. Just let them know what's going on. I don't know if that's anything that you uh, you do or plan on doing when you go to Dayton, just set up a computer and tell people how easy it is just to get on. Because a lot of people don't really have a lot of HF experience either. People get their license, they get onto two meters, you know, just because of, of accessibility and cost. Uh, and it takes some people a while to get around to HF. But yet HF seems to be that like that holy grail, you know, when you first get licensed, you're like, I want to I want to do HF, you know? Right. So it's just a great way to introduce people to it as well, I think. So Yeah, a lot of people get into ham radio as SWLs and uh there's certainly no easier and cheaper way to, to be an SWL other than like going to your friend's house who has one than doing something like an RTL SDR. I even have a little uh, little bit of, of, of gear to try that too, a little antenna and stuff that I have to play with. A little dongle. Not a dongle, but you know what I mean. <laughs> God, wheeze and dongles and you're just all over the place tonight. All over the place. That's right. <laughs> it's getting late. I'm not thinking straight. All right. And uh, in the final Linux in the Hamshack topic of the evening, uh, David Rowe, who we had on the program a couple of episodes ago talking about uh, FreeDV and the Codec 2 project, has for the very first time with a friend of his tested the SM1000 unit that we discussed in his interview on the air. Awesome. Uh, so that the betas that they've got, they actually have some prototype units that they've put on the air and on his blog at rotel.com, that's Romeo Oscar Whiskey Echo Tango Echo Lima.com, uh, you can just go to the blog section and check this out. Uh, they, he's uh, gone through his entire process of getting these things developed and uh, created and put on the air. But apparently, this was step 10 uh, in the process of actually getting the hardware connected up and making a QSO. Uh, with a friend of his over the air using FreeDV on these embedded FreeDV devices. Beta test is apparently complete. I know he said within a month or two, I guess, he expected to have these things available for sale, and it looks like they are on target for having those, and uh, I'm I'm really excited to see one of these, and if they're at the right price point, I, I believe he said it was going to be under $200, 
I would certainly like to get a hold of one. And, you know, we kind of talked about using FreeDB on HF and how kind of cool it is. And uh, the community is not really that big right now. So hopefully having some low-cost hardware to get people involved in uh, FreeDB will will grow the community and it will become a, a new and better thing than like the Ambi chip and other proprietary hardware because uh, it's all open hardware and software. Uh, which we're all about here at this program. So. Maybe hear that in the background there. I'm streaming some of the audio from his test you can see on the blog on the website. Yeah, I can hear it a little bit. Yeah, a success. That's cool. Yep, that's very cool. I'm glad to see that that thing is actually coming to fruition because we found out in our interview that that's basically what he does now. He's uh spends his whole time developing stuff for FreeDB. So. Yep, a class act. Built his own car out of pretzels. That's right. How, how could you go wrong? <laughs> pretzels and uh, Daihatsu. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's cool. Anyway, we probably need to move on since we're uh, way you know, finally way behind since we had you know a few problems earlier. But but people listening to the podcast will not realize we're way behind. That's right. We're just right on time. Yeah, that's right. Things are going going well. Sure. <laughs> it's been a per- perfect evening and uh to follow up this perfect evening we have a great uh female singer songwriter from winnipeg from canada yeah Winter from Peg. canada winter peg excellent uh, it's been forever since we've had music too so it's nice to see that uh, we're one reintroducing music and two that we're uh featuring an artist from canada <laughs> from Can- from canada yep Canada. From from uh, the English part of Canada, as a matter of fact. Yeah, uh, well, most of it's English. Just my neck of the woods that's pretty <laughs> French. I was uh, kind of fumbling around Jamendo looking at some suggestions we had from our listener, Donovan Bali. In noodling around based on his suggestions, I found uh, this young woman. Her name is Jamie Rumley. And as we've already said, she's from Winnipeg up in Canada. This track came out in October of 2009, and it's, uh, it's actually quite good, and I hope everybody will enjoy it. It's called Anywhere But Here uh, from the album Renovations. So we'll play this now, and we'll be back in about two and a half minutes to continue our program. I heard from Jamie Rumley was quite good. Worth checking out if you're into the Creative Commons music. Yeah, it's very nice. 
You thought that one was okay? You could you could live with that one? I could live with that one. Yeah, that was okay. nice. Easy listening. Yeah, I, I'm I'm always into a good, you know, singer-songwriter. That's some of my favorite music, and that struck me as particularly good. She also has a very good voice. So, Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So, we're on to uh, announcements and feedback, which we haven't done in some time, <laughs> along with music. Wow, we're kind of bringing things back like, you know, the show used to be. Wow. Uh, back before 2015, like back in the olden days. <laughs> I just want to make a quick mention of the fact that we're still running our Indiegogo campaign to get to Hamvich in 2015. We have about $235, I think, at last count of the goal that we're looking for. Uh, and as of this recording, we have 42 days left, so there's still plenty of time. No, Nothing to worry about yet, and we're not worried. We know we'll get there. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that I've started my own Indiegogo campaign to compete with you guys so I can get there first. Ooh, cool. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, if you get there first, you have to come pick us up. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. Sure, yeah, 12 hours out of the way, but hey, come pick us up, too. Well, if he's going to be that kind of a dick, he better come pick us up. (laughs) (laughs) I better start uh, gathering, uh, what do they call them? They come on star, the sponsors. Sponsors, Sponsors, yeah, there you go. That's right. But anyway, um, the the URL for that will be in the show notes. It's really long and convoluted. The easiest thing to do is just go to Indiegogo.com and either search for Hamvention or Linux. And, of course, we will pop up. So lots of perks, uh, lots of fun involved, and we hope to be at Hamvention. So if you can donate, please donate. Any level is fine. Even as little as a dollar or two is fine. Uh, but we do need to reach our goal, and if we don't reach our goal, we'll just hand everybody's money back, and we'll try again in 2016. But hopefully we'll see everybody this year, May 17th through the 19th, 2015, out in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, so enough about that. Anyway, there's a convention Another convention of ham radio people. We've actually had a delegate, I believe, at this ham at this convention. Uh, it was a couple of years ago, I think. It's RARS Fest, which is uh, at the Raleigh uh, or a, an event of the Raleigh Area Radio Society out in Raleigh, North that. Carolina. We talked about this last year, didn't we? Uh, maybe it was last year. I thought it was two years ago. Yeah, it's but... two years ago. No, I was it because I wasn't around two years ago, and I remember. Talking I think about we discussed. I think we we posted the information about it last year. But I think the person that actually did it did it two years. Because so. yeah. I, I just remember going, rawr, <laughs> about uh, Madagascar. Right. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> uh, we would love to, I, I need to get on the ball and start announcing more of these uh, ham conferences. and. Uh, yeah, but they're time sensitive. And then you always say, well, you don't want to do something that's time sensitive in a podcast. That's because true. people who listen like three months down the road will go, Oh, I missed it, bastards. Right. Yeah. Well, okay, so we'll make this one quick because I did get an email specifically about this. But Rars Fest is going to be April 4th, 2015, 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m., North Carolina State Fairgrounds. Uh, the Jim Graham building where it's going to be provides 100,000 square feet of uh, ham radio goodness. Uh, other activities will include walk-in license exam, HQ and area representatives, meetings and forums, QSL checking, blah, 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 blah. It's also the ARRL's North Carolina State Convention. Uh, you can find out more information at RARS, R-A-R-S, dot org. Yeah, org slash RARS fest. Uh, so definitely check that out. And thanks to Hank Kilo 4 Hotel Mike for sending us that information along. And if you're uh, in that neck of the woods... Check out RARS Fest in April of this year. Uh, and if it's already after April 2015, <laughs> sorry, you missed it. Um, try again next year. Yeah, try again next year. I'm sure it'll be there. So now we've got feedback. Oh, lots of feedback. Uh, we have an ep- episode comment, uh, episode 137 from November 4, Juliet Echo Kilo. This is Johnny Kinsey, a uh, longtime listener and a frequent commenter for the show. He says, uh, I thought the Kenwood TS-2000, Yezu 857-897, and 817 could do single sideband on 2 meters and 70 centimeters. Uh, this is in reference to our interview with David Rowe where we were talking about doing free DV on uh, VHF. Uh, he says, also, I figured it would be a good thing to do digital SSB on VHF, UHF, since the signal could go further than FM, but you would get clean audio like an FM signal. And, you know, that may be a perfect use case because i wasn't sure why someone would want to do free dv for example on vhf uh but if it creates a longer propagation path or you can get further with lower power 
based on the narrower bandwidth that might prove useful. Uh, I have been wondering why no one makes a multi-mode handy talkie uh, in the 2 meter, 70 centimeter uh, bands, and I'm not sure if anyone does. Uh, that's not I something know. I've looked up. I could look into that. The 2000 does SSB on 2 meters and 70 centimeters. I don't know about the Yesu series. Yeah, and I don't know either, but uh, he, he seems to think they do, and they probably do. Yeah, well, that's what an all-mode radio is. Right, absolutely. Uh, Let me do a quick search on that, if there's a SSB Handycock. I'm pretty sure there is. While you guys are looking that up, he also says, Cheryl, he's right, meaning me. Uh, Bacon wins, hands down, all day long. I can't wait for the show notes to see all of these recipes. (laughs) And Harrison has apparently been uh, AWOL for a while, but he's back with us and posting show notes. So the uh, back show notes for the past few episodes will be posted. Uh, so you will have access to all of the recipes and all of the other show goodness. Uh, we got an email from Victor Kilo 5, Hotel Zulu. I always love hearing, you know, call signs from down under. He says, uh, this is from Daryl. He says, hey guys, just caught up on episode 137 while I was traveling and was really looking forward to trying the chicken bacon soup recipe. But I can't see any show notes for any shows past 134. I missed the chicken bacon soup recipe. Well, it's in the show notes. <laughs> okay, Harrison. Get what, what was my chicken gnocchi soup? I don't know. He says chicken think, bacon. Yeah. Uh, maybe he's confused, but it'll be in the show notes, so I guess he can be unconfused. Uh, any chance on getting that posted? Love the show. You'll have to get Richard back on as a guest now that he's started his show again. And I'm not he sure that he's actually... show again, really? I, well, he did, but he, and he did two episodes, but I don't know if he's done any more than that. So, And I haven't even bothered to take a look. Well, he does come on every once in a while, but it's he very does. sporadic, and you just never know when he's going to pop up. So right. so for those of you who are regular listeners, he will show up eventually. Absolutely. You, you can't keep Richard down. No. If, as long as you can you know, get him to stop shooting guns in the house, he'll come on the show. So. <laughs> well, maybe that's the way to get him onto the show is let him shoot the guns in the house. As long as it's not my house, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, regards, he says, Daryl, Victor Keith. Victor Kilo 3 Golf Oscar slash Victor Kilo 5 Hotel Zoo. Uh, anyway, thanks again, Daryl, for that. The The show notes are being updated, so as of the time you hear this episode, you will be able to check everything you ever wanted to know about the recipes and stuff from past episodes in the show notes. Uh, Cheryl's website is madamoo.com, and uh, I assume in the next few days... She's, yeah, she's looking at me it. like, yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get those. <laughs> I have to go grocery shopping tomorrow, so maybe I'll Okay. So soon, you'll have all that information. And uh, thanks for listening, and thanks for commenting. Uh, we also got an email from Kilo Mike 4 India Kilo. Uh, this is Ian, and he says, Russ, good morning. I'm a listener to the Linux in the Hamshack podcast, and I'm wondering when we can expect to see episode number 138 posted to the website and iTunes. Thanks in 7-3. This is Ian Khan at Kilo Mike 4 India Kilo. Uh, this was, uh, there was a delay in posting episode number 138. That was the episode with uh, David Rowe. Uh, I did get it posted, I think, the day after he sent the email. Hopefully at this point he's already heard it because that was uh, quite some time ago, actually. You can expect to have been posted a couple of weeks ago. Actually, like three weeks ago. Now. Uh, let's see. We also got some... Uh, some comments. I mean, we have, there's, there's a uh, lots of discussion going on on Google plus, and I'm only going to mention a couple of them here. We got a Google plus post from Dave Thurston who says, Hey folks, if you don't like Ubuntu unity, and we did discuss uh, unity and the Mate interface on a previous episode, uh, several previous episodes, actually, if I recall correctly, he says, I don't either give Ubuntu Mate a spin. It doesn't have unity. It isn't a memory hog like unity, but it is an LTS version. I have it installed on three machines, and it runs great. And I'm all about, you know, running Ubuntu as long as it doesn't have Unity on it. So I haven't actually tried Ubuntu Mate because I don't have to. I run Linux Mint, and that's where Mate comes from. And if you're running the main spin of Linux Mint, it is Ubuntu under the hood. So you can either do Ubuntu Mate or you can do Linux Mint. Uh, There's another Google Plus post from Koos Vandenhout who says... Just finished listening to this episode. I'm not actually sure which episode he's referring to. It's probably 139. I started having more time for podcasts recently, so I'm going to hear stuff less than six months old soon. Yay. Uh, anyway, enjoyed the episode. Uh, the repeated mentions of CQR log mean I really have to give it a try. Yes, you really do. If you want a Linux native logger, CQR log is the one. It's awesome. It is awesome. 
currently using FL Digi, but I'd like to keep track of which QSOs were confirmed through EQSL, HRD log, and paper QSL. And I'd like to do some more voice QSOs. Logging those in FL Digi is a bit of a long way around. Well, we definitely recommend CQR log, and I hope it works for you. I mean, we're not going to, you know, guarantee its effectiveness for your particular methods, but uh, we've had a lot of good luck with it and heard a lot of good things. And uh, I've used it as well, and I enjoy using it. It is kind of the de facto standard in Linux ham radio loggers. Well-maintained, well-developed, and a good support community. Next, we got a, I got a quick email from John the Nice Guy Spriggs. A quickie from John. A quickie from John, that's right. He says, uh, have you seen this? It's a Kickstarter project. It's a Kickstarter project that was a uh, third-place winner in the 2014 Hackaday Prize competition. It is a portable software-defined radio, pocket-sized. If this uh, is fully funded, and I'm actually trying to find the information on what, what stage the funding is in right now, it's about half funded right now with 10 days to go. $36,000 of $60,000 goal has been raised. Portable SDR is uh, tiny, just big enough to have a couple of uh, audio interfaces and a, and a tuning knob on it. The link to that Kickstarter project for the uh, PSDR Pocket HF SDR transceiver with VNA and GPS will be in the show notes if you feel so inclined. It's about 50% funded. Uh, and finally, we have uh, a, another Google Plus post from Philip Oakley, who says, uh, Anyone help, please? My friend converted an old laptop from WinXP to Linux Mint 17. Good on you. Now I want to start using MMSSTV via Signalink and ICOM 706 Mark, 706 Mark 2G. Awesome, Rick. Yes, I, I've always wanted one of those. Could never afford it. Uh, what is the best safe site to download the program from? I have Googled it, but the links on different sites state not available. Thanks in advance, Phil. Golf Zero, Bravo Victor Delta, United Kingdom. Uh, I actually answered him on the Google Plus community, and I said the place to get MMSSTV is hamsoft.ca. Excellent, a Canadian website. It is a Canadian website, and it was actually written by a Japanese ham. I'm not sure why it's hosted on a Canadian website, but, you know, there you go. Maybe he lives in Canada. The biggest problem with the question, however, is that MMSTV is Windows only. So it may work under Wine, on his Linux Mint 17 installation, but what I would recommend instead is checking out QSSTV, which is a Linux native application for doing slow scan, and try that instead on your new, you know, shiny, spanking new Mint 17 install. Probably easier than, uh, I mean, Wine works well for some things, and then other things it doesn't, and, you know, for the life of me, I can never figure out why. Uh, Usually it's because there's missing libraries in Mm -hmm. the Wine install, so. You can convert any... Windows library and get it to work under Wine, it's just a very involved process. And then oftentimes it's easier just to find the Linux equivalent and use that. Right. Which we highly recommend, basically, wherever possible. All right, and with that, we're done with announcements and feedback, and it's Cheryl's time to shine. It's oh, recipe wait, wait. corner. Before, oh. before Cheryl shines, I just wanted to get back to uh, uh, SSBHTs. Um, okay. There is one available. Actually, there's one built in the uh, 1980s, which is no longer available, built by Santec. Uh, but for those who are interested, the uh, Kenwood uh, THF6A has SSB capabilities, and uh, which is presently available. I'm not sure uh, of the cost, but it looks like a nice little uh, handheld rig. But I also found while looking around uh, an article on Eham, uh, which states, which which is called, Why do HTs lack SSB capabilities? And uh, basically they mentioned because nobody really wants it. Uh, manufacturers don't build it because it's not asked for. So that's why there's very few. So there you go. The FD817 by Yesu, as mentioned, is the, the closest rig, uh, or the Kenwood THF6A. Is that what I said? The THF6A. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So I'll put those links in the show notes and uh, the link to the uh, uh, EHAM article as well, which is kind of interesting. Also, good on Kenwood for being like one of the most awesome ham radio manufacturers out there. They just kind of do it all. They do. And it's a US company, which is cool. Yep. For those of you who want to shop local, as it were. <laughs> in your own continent yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, because, like, there's no other manufacturer in the united states i mean they're all from somewhere else so. right 
Uh, it's yeah. as local as you're going to get when it comes to rigs. I do have I do have one Yezu rig and I do have one Icom rig, but everything else is Kenwood. I love Kenwood. So. Yeah, and they're 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 amazing. You know, Kenwood has been around forever. They make awesome electronics, and that includes uh, ham radio stuff. So, I mean, who you know, who of us in in our age group didn't grow up with some sort of of a Kenwood receiver amp when we were teenagers? You know, my my first CD player was a Kenwood. I love that thing. There you go, and yeah. it just keeps on ticking. So, yeah, uh, yeah good on Kenwood for uh, being uh, thinking outside the box. Yep, very much so. All right, now Cheryl's time to shine. Cheryl's recipe corner. Yeah. Shine. <laughs> <laughs> well, the recipe that I uh, submitted this week, I guess you could say I did, uh, is for oven baked chimichangas. I've loved them since I was a small child because my father loved Mexican food. But my mother hated it, so we always had to leave home to go eat it. I decided to make some at home, but I do not like deep frying stuff because I don't like the smell of my house. And we're fat and we don't need the added calories. So we decided to uh, do an oven-baked version. And they came out, in my opinion, really well. No, I thought they they were excellent. Truly excellent. I find that most stuff that you can deep fry, you can also oven bake. And it right. turns out almost or just as good, and it's a lot better for you. Oh, yeah. Well, in this recipe, actually, you mix um, butter and vegetable oil together to brush on your the outside of your tortillas. But they actually crisped up really nice, and, you know, it was like deep frying them. So, And, of course, the recipe that I have got, you don't have to use all the junk that's listed there. You know, you don't have to put a jalapeno in there, unless they're wrapped in bacon and got cream cheese stuffed in the middle of them so it's <laughs> <laughs> the purpose yeah the the recipe that i've got posted it's it's pretty well a very forgiving recipe regarding what you want to put in it the recipe actually calls for rotisserie chicken but we i think did chicken and hamburger maybe chicken nuggets <laughs> yeah no no Sorry. we didn't quite go that far but <laughs> throw in there whatever you want it's it's one of those recipes i i have a few recipes it's like you know just add the kitchen sink you'll be fine so that's my recipe for this week. I didn't include my green rice recipe, so which was almost as good. I think the poblano rice was almost as good as the actual chimichangas. So maybe that can be your one for next week or mm-hmm. next time. And for I those who are curious, uh, Google Translate. Uh, if you translate chimichanga from Spanish to English, it translates to chimichanga. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I thought I would get, get some kind of revelation, you know. <laughs> it's like chicken flying uh, across the yard. Nope, yeah. just chimichanga. <laughs> That's right. It's Spanish for does not translate. There you go. <laughs> it's Chinese. Oh, there you go. Maybe. Yeah. So anyway, the information on that will, of course, be in the show notes and uh, at some point posted on madamoo.com. So you'll be able to make your own oven-baked chicken chimichangas. So that's it. We're now down to the social media roundup, which uh, Cheryl can go ahead and take care of. It's a fairly long one this week, folks, so hang on tight. Uh, Starting out with donations and subscriptions. We have Bob Yerke for a year, Bill Arcan for a month, Alan Wilson for a year, and he is a new subscriber, Bill Hyatt for a month, Michael Aiello for a year, Ron Elke for a year, Bob Chandler for a year, and Paul Griffith for a year. Yay! I think that's actually Ron Ike. Okay. Well, sorry. I'm that's sitting at the No, it's some, some Ron guy. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> he subscribed for a year, though, so I guess we should say... Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Along with the rest of them that subscribed for a year. That's so. right. Several of them. And a lot yes. of them came in, in uh, January and... Uh, or late January, early February. So it must be the time for yearly subscriptions. Yay. Okay. Now, now give an excellent to those who subscribe for a month too. Excellent. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so everybody's covered now. Wait. Everybody, <laughs> here's here's one for everybody too. Badger. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me swear. Uh, <laughs> All right. Okay. On Facebook, we have Beer Leo, Jim Burns, Randy Rethlake. Ed Carp, Rich Hollock, Brian Ritchie, Bill Morrison, and Bob Resney. Google Plus is the Florence Hamfest, George Frottle, Tom Aplinek, Helper 88i, Alan Dingle Dined. 
I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it actually is Alan Dingledine, and I'm sorry to have to say his actual name. I just wonder how he got through life. <laughs> sorry to have to say his actual name. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to add in now if I butcher Wait, anybody's names. I'm here, sorry. I'll just say it this way. Alan Dingledine. Excellent. <laughs> the Beginner's Radio Workbench. Dirk uh, Geisels? Gissels? Paul Bates, Jan Busk, Charlie Ray, James Monty, Vincent Chavio, Lauren Butler, Scott Pettigrew, and I know Scott, uh, Matthew Williams, and Pete Landry. Yeah, you, wow. know, you know the, all three of those last people. Oh, that's true. Before we get uh, to the rest of this, uh, in the chat room, we had a question about who, where is Tentech made? Tentec is American. Okay, I believe it was Ted who asked. Yeah, Ted asked, "Where is Tentec?" Look apparently, at the employment. And see yeah, no, no, I'm here. Tentec is in Seaverville, Tennessee. So. Yeah, that's totally American. Yep. I wasn't sure where, but I know it's American. Yep, it is definitely American, and it's in Tennessee, good old down home Tennessee. So <clears throat> there you go. Also, it would be called something like you know Ocho Tech or something. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Which is actually eight, so that didn't make sense. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be known as Pofong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ooh. <laughs> anyway, yeah, completely American. Also, a great company. Tentech uh, makes some good good kits and stuff. Is Elecraft American? Elecraft is totally American. All right, cool. So there's one too. All right, on to All Twitter. Right. On to Twitter. How come I know this and I'm from Canada? Because you're because you're Canadian, like I'm radio guy. That's why. Yeah, right. there you go. And you live in Canada, so you can actually afford Tentex and Elecrafts. Yes, because all of us Canadians are rich because right. we build igloos and snow costs nothing. <laughs> you are right, exactly. <laughs> Twitter is Harry LTCE King L Zinsgar Riggleham. M-A-N-U-Z-P-9. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. UK Radio Amateur. O-E-5-H-T-L. Rigoy Tech USA. K-8-E-A-F. J-S Wilson. J-S-W-I-L-Z-N. Buskajan Cyber Tau. Zoke. Zoke, okay. Ham Radio IRC. O-H-6-G-A-Z. And Fotchki Radio. Uh, interesting note about Ham Radio IRC, and I will put this in the show note because it's not actually in the Etherpad, is that there is an IRC server specifically for Ham Radio users, not like Ham Radio channel on Freenode. Uh, that's actually the Twitter channel for an IRC network dedicated to Ham Radio. Oh, cool. uh, so I will post that information in the show notes, and I probably should have had that written down, but of course I, I didn't. <laughs> but check show notes. Uh, nobody on the mailing list uh, on YouTube was Richard Rosario and David M. And we did nice out. All right. So I guess uh, we're going to get on out of here. I should probably like push the button and play some music type stuff. I think you should send me a T-shirt so I could wear it for my 40th episode. There you go. All right. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, this has been episode number 140 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can become an LHS ambassador by visiting the website and signing up for an event near you, whether it's a Linux show or a ham radio show. Uh, all the details are on the website. You can uh, email us at info at lhspodcast.info, or you can leave us a voicemail to send us your feedback at 1909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1909-547-7469. You can find us on IRC 24 hours a day, or someone's probably there 24 hours a day. Uh, pound LHS podcast on the Freenode network. Go ahead and sign up for our mailing list. Buy some show merchandise at cafepress.com slash LHS podcast or printfection.com slash LHS podcast. All kinds of different stuff that you can pick up there and every little bit helps out the show just a tiny bit. Uh, you can also click on the sponsored ads on the right-hand column of the website and that helps us out as well and it doesn't take any money out of your pocket whatsoever. Uh, we record this show every other Monday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. That's Tuesday mornings, 0200 Zulu Time. The recording schedule and the countdown timer and every little bit of information you ever wanted to know about Linux in the Ham Shack is on the website at lhspodcast.info. So thanks, everybody who's listening. Thanks to everybody who has listened. And thanks to everybody who will listen in the future. Uh, this is Russ. 
saying goodbye. And we'll catch you all in a couple weeks' time from... Uh, I'm not even between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas anymore. It's uh, all here from Studio 3D in southwestern Missouri. So for Pete, BE2XPL, for Cheryl, and for myself, Russ, K5TUX, we'll see you in two weeks' time. Talk to you then. Podcast Linux in the Ham Shack, uh, Ham Nation, Ham Radio Today. And let me tell you something.